Hello, this is Into the Greenwood. My name's Cathy. And I'm Rosie, and today we're looking at Gold Tree and Silver Tree, a Scottish version of Snow White. Mm-hmm. It also has just a, a little smattering of Sleeping Beauty in there towards the end. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we talk a little bit about the gender roles, maybe the marriage expectations of the time, and what this story is saying about good women and bad women and the right way to be as a person Mm -hmm. and some of how we get to that is by comparing it with a variant from Brittany um, which is very similar but not exactly the same Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoy it Long ago there lived a king who had a wife named Silvertree and a daughter named Goldtree. On a certain day of days, Goldtree and Silvertree travelled to a glen to visit a pool, within which dwelt a trout. Tell me, Troutie, said Silvertree, am I not the most beautiful queen in all the world? Oh no, said the trout, it is Goldtree, your daughter. The queen returned home in a rage and took to her bed, claiming she would not be well again until she could have the heart and liver of her daughter to eat. The king came home from hunting, and upon hearing this wanted to help his wife, but could not sacrifice his daughter. He accepted a marriage proposal for Goldtree and sent her abroad to marry a prince, and gave his wife the heart and liver of a he-goat. Believing Goldtree dead, the queen rose from her bed, well and healthy. A year passed, and the day came again when Silvertree could visit the pool. "'Tell me, Troutie,' said Silvertree, "'am I not the most beautiful queen in the world?' "'Oh no,' said the trout. "'It is Goldtree, your daughter.' "'But she is long since dead,' said Silvertree. "'Oh no,' said the trout. "'She is married to a wealthy prince abroad.' Silvertree went home and begged the king to ready his longship, saying it had been too long since she had seen her dear daughter." The ship set sail the following day with Silvertree at the helm. She steered the ship so expertly they arrived swiftly at the shores of the prince's country. The prince was out hunting, and so Goldtree said to the servants, It is my mother, come to kill me. So Goldtree was locked in a room where Silvertree couldn't reach her. Silvertree came to the door and said, Will you not come out and greet your own mother? I cannot, said Goldtree. I am locked in this room and I cannot get out. Then will you not put your little finger through the keyhole so your mother may kiss it? Goldtree put out her little finger, and Silvertree stabbed her with a poison thorn. Goldtree fell dead where she stood. The prince returned from hunting and was heartbroken to find Goldtree dead. She was so beautiful he could not bear to bury her, so he locked her in a special chamber, to which only he had the key. In the following months he remarried, and his second wife managed every room in the house but that one. On a certain day of days he forgot to take the key with him when he left to go hunting, and the second wife was able to enter the room. There she found Goldtree, the most beautiful woman she had ever seen, and immediately tried to wake her. Then she saw the poison thorn in her finger. She pulled it out, and Goldtree rose alive and well. When the prince returned, he was overjoyed to find Goldtree alive. "'Since she is your first wife, it is better you stay with her,' said the second wife. "'I shall go away.' No, indeed, said the prince. You shall not go away, and I shall have both of you. 
Far away in Goldtree's home country, the time had come again for Silvertree to visit the pool. Tell me, Trouty, said Silvertree, am I not the most beautiful queen in all the world? Oh no, said the trout, it is Goldtree, your daughter. But I killed her a year past, said Silvertree. Oh no, said the trout, she yet lives. Once again, Silvertree returned home and begged her husband to ready the ship so she could visit her dear Goldtree. Once again, Silvertree's skill at the helm brought them swiftly to the shores of the prince's kingdom. The prince was hunting on the hills when Goldtree saw her father's ship coming into port. Oh, she said, my mother is coming to kill me. Not at all, said the second wife. Come, let us go down to meet her. Silvertree stepped onto the shore and called for Goldtree. Come, come, dear daughter, for I have a precious drink for you. It is custom in this country, said the second wife, that the person who offers the drink take the first draught. Silvertree put her mouth to the cup, and the second wife struck her elbow, so as the drink splashed down her throat. Silvertree fell dead to her own poison. The prince and the two wives lived in peace and happiness for a long time after. I left them there. Returning to our newly patented scale. <laughs> Where does this story fall for you? Between the half ears of the fairy water bull <laughs> and Rashi Coates's coat of gold. Hmm. I'm gonna put it at um the Dark Sisters uh murderous rage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Nice. So about midway. Yeah. I'm sure everyone understands the scale completely. It's entirely <laughs> comprehensive. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be published in a form that can be followed and makes yes. sense. So it's considered a Snow White variant, um, and you can definitely see why with the jealous mother figure and the most beautiful in the world and trying to eat her heart. Mm -hmm. It's a classic. Um... And I looked into a little bit about the meaning of the liver and the heart, mm -hmm. even though I felt the heart was kind of obvious, but I was like, why those two? Yes, um, sure. So what I've got is like a little bit of like the whole jealousy is all consuming and it causes like it consumes you and it causes you to try and consume the person that mm -hmm. you're jealous of. Um, as just a little note, so then for the liver, um, apparently it was considered a source of passion and emotion, specifically anger and wrath. Mm. Um, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. You talk about, um, well, you know, if you, which nobody should any longer, but if you ascribe to the four humours interpretation of medicine and mm. bile and sanguine, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and there was a little, like on one hand, I'm not sure how relevant this is. On the other hand, like people love the Greeks, so maybe relevant. Um, when Prometheus is being punished by mm. Zeus mm -hmm. and he's chained to a rock with an eagle, which represents Zeus pecking his liver out every day. Um, a kind of take on that is that Zeus is consuming the 
liver and weaponizing Prometheus's own passion for the human race against him. Oh, that's a nice interpretation. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that's kind of, that's sort of relevant here. Because um, with wanting to consume the liver and that continued um, wrath and stuff. It would make sense, but it's also strange because it's not like the identifying characteristic of Galtree is that mm. she's passionate and beloved yeah. by all. It's that she's beautiful. Like, like you say, this is just highlighting the consuming some key aspects of her that have her personality yeah. and her yeah. best attributes. But Yeah. Um, and then on the heart, I think, I'm sure everyone has already thought of it as just being, yeah, the heart is like her life's blood, um, mm. the center of her as a person, and it's like symbolically the source of her youth and her beauty and who she is. Um, but a fun little thing that I found was, just because it's interesting, apparently during the Crusades, um, a mm. soldier would mm. often request that his heart would be taken out of his body and sent home to be buried at home. So, yes. you know, it was just considered to be the essence of a person. We, we react very strongly to heart-based imagery. Yeah. And there's also a little about the hearts of traitors were removed as punishment. Um, so, like, I don't think it's a mind-blowing analysis, but good hearts are filled with light and purity and nice things <laughs> and bad hearts are g- gross and filled with treachery so it makes sense mm. silver tree wants to consume the heart so that she can absorb those good qualities yes and it absolutely doesn't absolve her in any way but it may be it mitigates ever so slightly some of the vanity of who's the most beautiful in the land if she's also to a degree encapsulating purity of heart and yeah. goodness and, and lightness uh, and not just skin deep attraction I did a little bit on the fact that it's a he goat that's used as a stand in, I don't know why it's a he goat only that um, they, they're supposed to symbolise kind of vitality so I was like, well, maybe that's why it would be considered to be a good stand-in. Hmm. Um, but also, goats are like a common sacrificial animal, so... Yeah. Um, and presumably much easier to source um, in a, a moment of crisis than a deer's heart like you get in Snow White. Someone would have to go out hunting for that. It could take a while. He's just probably a goat on the farm next door. We can sort this out quickly. Some notes on the trout. I (laughs) was incredibly curious about the trout. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that it was probably related to the salmon of knowledge in Mm. the Finn McCool stories. Um, I mean, salmon and trout, they they look very similar. They're basically one's fresh. I mean... This is a simplification, but one's fresh water and one's salt water. They look very similar. Their meat is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so the salmon of knowledge is a salmon, like a normal salmon, 
the eight nine hazelnuts that fell into the well of wisdom and it gained all of the world's knowledge. And then the folk hero Finn McCool catches the fish to cook it for his master but accidentally tastes some and thus gain, gains all its powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so felt it, it's just kind of in that similar vein. It's a fish that knows everything. Yes, I mean you hear tales of talking fish, magical fish. I think I've heard about them most in the old Chinese legend, actually. Mm. You tend to get talking fishes every now and then. Um, I I tried to look up why we like to have a talking fish. Yeah. Uh, and the suggestion was that it was to do with, the, obviously, the association with water and mysticism and mm. secret knowledge. as yeah. ties in with your tale. And the the magic of nature. Mm. But I'm still a little bit stuck on it being a trout. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know, something... You know, no offence to anyone that loves trouts, but just the word itself feels really <laughs> unromantic to me. And I know that that's not yeah. any kind of sensible, considered <laughs> analysis. It's just I, an emotion. I wonder if it... Maybe maybe the salmon comes first and mm-hmm. the trout it's a trout because they're similar to salmon. Yes, and we have more trouts in the area. So yeah. it has to be a trout. Yeah. yeah. That can be likely. Um Yeah. I did I did find quite a few stories that were about magic trouts, but they were mm. a lot more like wish granting. They weren't knowledge having Yes, I actually found one from Ireland where two lovers, the boy gets murdered and the girl disappears and then in the pond or lake next to where the the boy was murdered there's just a white trout all of a sudden Hmm. and they all assume that it's the girl but they're not sure and then a hundred years or so go by and there's still a white trout there and then some horrid soldier comes along and laughs at the local superstition, tries to eat the trout, that then says, please basically stop trying to tell me <laughs> I'm a woman and I'm looking for my lover. I'm, I'm, I have to stay here until I find him. Mm. And he doesn't believe her until he like stabs her and she turns into a woman, <laughs> turns back into a fish, and he's like, oh, oh, okay, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and she says, throw me back into the water so I can keep looking. And he does, and then that's the end of the tale. Oh, so that's a really, it's like nothing to do with our story. <laughs> but I just had to tell you about it. She's just going to be swimming around forever. Forever. It's a horrendous curse when, as far as I can tell, she did nothing wrong. Yeah. In that arena, trouts are tragic. That is not the case here. And if, in fact, in any case, here, the trout is kind of a snitch. <laughs> really? Yeah. So many problems wouldn't have happened if the trout just said, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or, I don't think you need to know that. Yeah. You know, it's it's a magical trout. It probably has to tell the truth. Obviously, it's it's 
basically the same as the magic mirror in Snow White, and I just yeah. think mirror pond, mm-hmm. easy leap, very easy. Yes, I mean the suggestion is that we used water as mirrors before we had mirrors. So. Yeah, so I had a little thought on the fact that it mentions that Silver Tree is so good at steering the ship, and I thought, well, yeah, she's very like determined and single-minded and whatever but I kind of wondered if it was doing a bit of a thing where it was like she shouldn't be good at Um, this and mm -hmm. this is wrong like this isn't what women are meant to be good at sure the uh perversion of the femininity yeah yeah especially when gold tree is so so passive I mean gold tree barely even speaks mm-hmm. she has what maybe two three lines of dialogue she's yeah i think she's more passive than snow white actually yeah yeah she doesn't which is impressive she pretty much just asks other people for help or she doesn't even ask them for help she just says mm-hmm. something and they offer help mm-hmm but yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly something not very complimentary or 21st century about the femininity that we're emphasizing mm-hmm. in this tale. Yeah. As mm. we've said before, and I'm sure we'll say again, it's beauty is not the only thing that women care about. That shouldn't need to be said. The pricking of her finger, Um, there's a pretty uh, common analysis of Sleeping Beauty where the pricking of her finger is meant to be like her first menstruation and this is her reaching sexual maturity, she falls asleep, she wakes up, she gets married. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to mention it because this story has that aspect but I just I don't think it's relevant. She's already married. It's she's been married a year and a day. Yeah. By this point, I I can understand that aspect of analysis. It works well for Sleeping Beauty. Um, and I suppose with any coming of age folktale. Mhm. But that isn't maybe the only thing that blood has to symbolize for a woman it's, it's a strange kind of privacy violation to be honest mm-hmm. to prick somebody through mm-hmm. a keyhole i don't know something about it just seems very very pointed and very so it's, it's that whole idea of the door as a, a boundary sometimes representing safety mm-hmm. especially for gold tree and that they're at the the very weakest point that is still open no matter what you do. You, you know, you could yeah. put in a, in a key, but for the symbolism it still works. It's it's the one weak point. Yeah. And it's weaponized against her. Yeah. And then simultaneously, I think it's very sad because gold tree knows that her mother's trying to kill her but it's like her one weak point is she wants to Mm. believe that she loves her yeah because i've seen plenty of analysis of snow white 
variants, um, particularly Jungian, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, <laughs> that talk about how stupid, essentially, Snow White is for opening up the door and accepting the gifts and mm. how stupid Gold Tree is to put her little finger through the keyhole when they know that this woman is trying to kill them. They know that they're in mortal peril. Mm-hmm. And, okay, you could interpret it as a huge sense of immaturity and this requirement that the character undergoes death to have a transformation and learn about the world and grow up and confront malice in others and mm. all of that that kind of thing. But you could also interpret it in a much more understandable way that if this woman has raised her and is her yeah. mother, it's understandable that there would be part of her that has hope. Yeah. I I can kind of see, like, you can sort of do both. Um, mm-hmm. You can have the child in her desperately wants to believe that um, her mother loves her and growing out of that need Mm -hmm. is part of her transformation. Yes, and is a good representation of accepting your own adulthood responsibility for your own life. You don't rely on your parental figures as much. Quite a few things on um, the variants of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one from a medieval collection of Irish annals, um, the Four Masters, and in this story, um, King Dermot goes to a gathering of the Gales and he brings his two wives. Mm-hmm. One wife is jealous of the other so she pulls off her crown exposing that she's bald the bald wife calls upon god to help her and is given long golden hair she then curses the other wife to be barren she's afraid the king will put her aside because all of his other wives are fertile Mm -hmm. so she prays to saint Findon, and then she gives birth to a lamb a trout and then the next king of ireland as as you do wow (laughs) well that's a horrendous pregnancy yeah um but um there's not a huge amount of similarities but you have a man two women who are jealous of each other mm-hmm. and um they the two women have very similar names so there's a version from Brittany called Eliduc which is named after the man in the tale but was originally named after the two wives, Gildiluk and Guillaudan. So in this one, he travels to England, leaving behind his faithful wife, Gildiluk. And while he's in England, he takes another wife, which is Guillaudan. And he is like in love with her, and then on the way back to Brittany, Giedon learns that Eliduc has another wife and she faints. He thinks she's dead and he buries her in Brittany and returns to Gildiluk. 
she notices that he's distracted and she has him followed. She sees that he's grieving, realizes he must be grieving a lover. And because apparently she's just the best woman in the world, she begins to grieve too. So then they see two weasels and one of the weasels dies and bring and then the other brings it back to life with a flower. Eliduc sees this, gets the flower himself and brings back Giedon. And then not knowing who Gildiluk is, Giedon confesses all. Gildiluk reveals the truth of her identity and immediately forgives um, Giedon. So then to meet like the first wife immediately forgives her and decides to be a nun so that they can they can be together um and then eventually the second wife also goes to the convent and so does Eliduk. so Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah there's some there's some like thoughts that the first wife going to a convent might be a later edit and originally this one would have had a similar ending where they all live together. So I've certainly read a version wherein the lay of Duke, the ending is like that because it was all about the courtly love and that mm. idea of very restrained, self-sacrificing chivalrous love because it was being told mm. in French courts and you know, yes. much like the medieval Arthurian romances, mm. the interest is unconsummated love. Yeah. And that idea of purity of body and mind. Yeah. And affection. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely going to say it's quite Lancelot and Guinevere. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a nicer ending, I guess. Yes, which I do appreciate, and I I like that the women in both tales are prepared to be friends, maybe more, we, mm-hmm. the text is ambiguous, sure, but I think my issue is that you wouldn't resolve a story with the genders being flipped in the same yes. way. You wouldn't expect men to be so self-sacrificing yes. and offer to completely give up and then be fine just sharing yes. the love of the princess at the end of the tale. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, in isolation, it's very nice that everyone's so ooh. friendly and accepting, but we're not seeing it with the genders flipped. We don't have as far as I know, the same volume of examples. Yeah, not that, to be fair, we have many examples of potentially polyamory in Mm. folklore. I haven't come across many, at least. But, I don't know, it just always seems incredibly convenient to me that two beautiful women are in love with a man that isn't even named in Gold yeah. Tree and Sil- Silver Tree, yeah. isn't given a glowing list of attributes. We don't know how much of a catch he is. <laughs> you know, the assumption is a lot, but... Yeah. Like, we don't really have a lot of good reasoning yeah. for why they're both in love with him. The second wife, in particular, 
He's keeping a woman locked in a chamber. Very creepy. It's the creepiest thing in the world. There is no way that her offer isn't slightly, and I would really like to be excused from this narrative, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I think the thing is, even when we don't see the polyamory Mm. type ending, um, it's... um, we're way more often pushed to forgive the man who has multiple mm-hmm. lovers than we are to forgive the woman. And my other thing about um, the like potential polyamory is like I don't know. So if we're saying this came from a society where like men having multiple wives was more normal, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they were okay with um, women loving other women. Mm. And therefore it's like, they're okay with men having multiple wives. So the thing, it could <laughs> simply be bigamy. Yeah. Not necessarily. Like the two women definitely get on. And it would be really nice if they were all in love with each other, but like just because this is like just because we have evidence of the society being okay with one thing, it doesn't mean it's okay with the other, and that makes the whole relationship seem different. There's also the fact that even in societies where it's acceptable for a man to have multiple wives, usually much less, if not still unacceptable for a woman to have multiple husbands yeah and there's almost always still that double standard yeah and it's as long as it's there it's not something that as long as that double standard is there I, i feel that the relationship is a bit sketchy yes because i just think if the second wife had had all of the facts before marrying him she just probably wouldn't have <laughs> married him, you know? Yeah. And that always leaves me with a very uncomfortable feeling when yeah. we're portraying this as a dream romance and everyone's happy and in love at the end. When, obviously, folk tales, fairy tales, they don't translate into how everyone would act in real life. That's not entirely mm-hmm. their job. But it's not not their job either. Yeah. Um, I did also think there's maybe an interpretation where um, it is just um, they're not seeing the marriages as love marriages at all. Sure, between Goldtree and the prince, he seems to love her. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wonder if him keeping on the second wife is seen as the honourable thing to do to provide for her. Yes. Um, and I wonder if she... And then there's the practicality of marrying again to have someone to manage his house. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if she's... We're meant to interpret her as more of a wife in name, filling a specific yes. job. Almost becoming like the spinster sister that you would see in a Regency novel. She's there to manage the house, she's an extra female presence, 
Yeah, and then we're meant to see this is a happy ending because both these women are going to have a really good life. Yeah, they're both safe, they're both protected by what we will call without too much uh, textual evidence uh, a good safe, stable man that's going to provide for them and treat them well. Yeah. It's not a bad ending. Yeah. Everyone's left as well as they could be, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, the second wife is very cool. What a person. (laughs) What a gal, indeed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like if you didn't have the beginning part of the story, the, the Snow White the first candidate for the shadow version of the heroine is the second wife. Mm-hmm. Normally you would expect her to be evil, to be some obstacle, to be in opposition. And I can see why we wouldn't want to have two evil women in the tale. Uh-huh. That would be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think it just bears mentioning that she's really subverting some expectations. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I think this is where the morality of the story comes in a lot. Um, so if the French version and this version are related, which I think is likely because mm-hmm. the French version is from Brittany, which is a Celtic region, and the Scottish version is from is originally Gaelic, so again a Celtic story. Um, so if they're both from a time where it was no- more normal to have um, multiple wives, um, part of me wondered if originally it wasn't her mother, it was another wife, and it was meant to be a direct reflection of this is mm. what an unhealthy man and two wives, an unhealthy looks jealousy like. looks like, and then this is what a healthy one looks like, because you're not supposed to be jealous, you're supposed to share and like mm. each other and get on um, I don't know because we have other we have like quite a few other examples of it being the mother yes um, but still I think it's supposed to be unhealthy man and two women healthy man and two women yeah I think that adds like that perspective adds a lot of symmetry that the tale feels like it's missing if you look at it in mm-hmm. other ways because it's not like she gains another mother figure like Cinderella does in The Godmother it's not yeah. you don't f- tie up all of the threads necessarily but that would be interesting you could also just because the names have struck me from the beginning especially because the first version I read Silvertree was down as the stepmother which makes no sense narratively yeah. just from the names yeah. gold tree and silver tree have to be related at the very least you don't have that yeah. kind of a naming convention that's some blood yeah but it's interesting if you're thinking that potentially originally they were equal candidates both wives mm. could they have been sisters yeah and yeah. then i mean it's very much still a slap in the face for silver tree <laughs> to be clearly labeled second most precious Mm -hmm. um but yeah i just think 
there has to be a deeper bond than the traditional evil stepmother in a tale, yeah. just from the perspective of the naming. Yeah. And then we have... Um, Gold Tree is kind of meant to be... Um, she's sort of meant to be Silver Tree's opposite, in that mm-hmm. she's passive and like the perfect woman, and Silver Tree is aggressive and active and has agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opposing force to Silver Tree is really the second wife, who, like, Silver Tree is the example that this is what you don't want to be. You don't want to be jealous and mean mm-hmm. and. You just you should be humble, and the second wife immediately is ready to step aside for Gold Tree, and has no jealousy, just helps her, and it's like this is who you should be. Yeah, but I think another interesting thing about the second wife, she is incredibly ruthless. She is. she immediately. <laughs> As soon as uh, Silver Tree presents herself again, the second wife is like, let's go see her. You know at that yeah. point, she has a plan. She hasn't let anybody else in on it. Mm-hmm. I really but she's like got her. a plan, and Silver Tree is going <laughs> down. Yeah, I love the detail that she knocks her arm to make, <laughs> to make her swallow the poison. Yeah, like, she's clearly very smart, but it's... It wouldn't surprise me if other people read the tale and thought, you know what, second wife, she has to go and serve God because she just murdered a woman <laughs> straight up. She needs yeah. to make some amends. She did it for a good reason, but she did still very much kill a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, intentionally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. An inspiration. Mm-hmm. But very ruthless to have as your shadow of your evil ruthless mother character yeah it's an interesting shared attribute yeah it is um i just made a bit of a note with um the three ways in which she tries to kill gold tree and there's just this thing where the first time she orders someone else to do it, the second time it's through a door, the third time they're face to face. And just this stepping closer feeling and confronting it more directly herself, I guess. Rule of three, etc. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting actually that it's the second time that's the most successful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's the third time that is somewhat successful and then you round it out to a complete fourth with the rescue and Mm. the final confrontation. So I have um, some more versions Mm -hmm. um, which have and I found, I read an essay that had some thoughts on the defeat Mm. Um, so there's another Scottish story um which has a Gaelic title that I hope I'm going to pronounce okay. <laughs> um, so it's called Lasser Yek. And in this one, um, and then I think it's has like a little subtitle that is, it's a Scottish story about an Irish princess. Mm. So in this one, the evil queen is the mother of the central princess character. 
The princess is poisoned by the queen after her marriage to a prince, and the prince places her in a lead coffin and keeps her in a hidden chamber. Because um, he thinks that she's dead, he rem- remarries but still grieves her. When the second wife finds her, she pulls three splinters from her finger that were poisoning her. She wakes up. Um, the two wives share their place beside the prince, who is now king. And in the story's climax, there is a section where the princess tells the story of what her mother put her through to her three unchristened children, mm. circumnavigating an oath that she was made to take to tell no one. Oh. Um, so then the evil queen arrives and is caught and burned alive. So in this essay, it was arguing that as soon as she voices her story and owns her right to tell it, then the queen is easily disposed of. And a similar thing does happen with Gold Tree. Um, but she does say to the servants um, that her mum is going to kill her. And then she says to the second wife, her mum's going to kill her, and then she's easily dealt with. Mm-hmm. So in this essay, the kind of... It was about as soon as she gives voice to her experience and her story that gives her power over it so that she can defeat the evil and I think it it does carry through um but then we have to get a bit more um speculative about like she asks the servants for help so did they not count as like someone with power? I was going to say to that help. would as soon as you add in a lens of power or privilege, if you even imagine the servants as a counterpoint to unchristened children representing nobody, someone without power, someone that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. It's why it's like it's not enough in this story. Yeah, but maybe the sort of motherhood bond in the other one is enough to yeah. break that cycle. But I think in this one it seems to be more interested in, in power and privilege. Mm-hmm. So she has to talk to equals that are able to defeat who is essentially the queen of another land. Yeah. She needs the support of the other prince and presumably the second wife is another princess as well the power of speech is often a very key thing in cursed fairy tales especially Mm. if you extrapolate a little bit and think about all the ones where the person is cursed into an animal and is therefore no longer to communicate Mm. with other people to receive help or receive justice Mm whatever it is that they need most at that moment in time. And putting her in a coma is again representative of taking away her voice and her agency and her life. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, at the very beginning of the tale, Silvertree also explicitly says, I would like to eat my daughter's organs. (laughs) And it's, you know, a small cause for concern, but I think it warrants considerably more. <laughs> yeah. Uh... It, it, I don't know, it's just interesting that Silver Tree seems to have all of this control over the speech until she's bested by uh-huh. the second wife 
a custom in this country, the web of words, that mm-hmm. sort of concept. Yeah, and she, she's the one that gets to speak to the trout. Mm-hmm. And I think the king, in the version I read, he, the only line that he gets is, I would do anything to save you. Oof. And Dad of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and then there's this parallel of the two men, the prince and the, mm-hmm. and the king always being away hunting, which I think we could, we can read into it a bit and say that they're both physically and mentally absent. They're not the ones mm-hmm. tackling the problem. They're away in the wild. They're not conscious of what's happening over here. Yeah, um, but it's also like it's just a pretty convenient way to have them not be there, so that our key players can deal with. It's the thing, it's also just less interesting. You don't have a story if, when she says to the king, "I would like to eat our daughter's organs," he says, "Well, uh, I'm going to arrest you then." <laughs> you know, the story's over. That doesn't. Yeah, that's not compelling. He has to be ineffectual yeah so that we get the subsequent parts with the prince he's all he's also he's also absent and um like i i I do think we're saying that these two characters are mentally disconnected because Mm -hmm. from what is going on around them because the prince is presumably seeing gold tree every day and he never notices the thorn in her finger But you know who is connected and switched on and present and in the conscious world? The second wife. I was even thinking just then actually how we've got two slightly useless men and then three women. You can also split them into the maiden, the mother and the crone. Mm. Mm -hmm. Gold tree is the maiden, second wife is the mother. Mm. Silver tree, of course, being the crone. Um... You know, I don't know that that's necessarily revolutionary. It's mm-hmm. very easy to split feminine characters into those three roles, especially if you have three of them, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. But it's, you know, are we are we being too harsh to the passive gold tree? <laughs> is that very much her role? Are we still supposed to think of her almost as a child despite the fact that this is a coming of age tale from the outside yeah like I don't want to be too harsh on passivity it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing but it is a bad thing when it's considered the ideal of Mm. an entire gender (laughs) yes it's interesting that she is allowed to be passive and you could argue out of touch and gullible mm-hmm. um, and the men are also allowed to be relatively passive and out of touch but we're not condemning them for it the situation I think like we're trying to tackle a very childlike and innate fear of Mm. what if 
both my parents fail me and abandon me and it seems like we're saying the perversion of a mother is to try and harm her children mm-hmm. the perversion of a father is to not protect them. not protect not be there mm-hmm. um and then well then we continue that with the prince he's not there and i suppose maybe it's supposed to be a bit of reassurance in um you will still make it out if you ask for help mm-hmm. and you don't actually need those figures you just need some help and you can still survive that who names their children like who names their child Goldtree? What yeah. was the grandmother doing to name her daughter Silvertree? I know. Everybody connected with this tale? Strange. It was the grandmother Bronze Tree, is that what we're doing? <laughs> oh, or Copper Tree? And I think Copper is nicer. Copper is nicer. Um, yeah, I kind of... To read into it even more, and, you know, I feel like the dad named her, and... <laughs> It's been a growing seed of resentment for a long time. Mm-hmm. It would track. Mm. It's all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> of course uh, not. So the the moral of the story is not women should be humble and not jealous and nice all the time. This, the moral is the um, it's the men the men's fault. Yeah. Don't name your daughter passive aggressive twisted version of your wife's name (laughs) it's simple (laughs) (laughs) the folklore scotland podcast is brought to you by folklore scotland the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today you can visit our website at folklorescotland.com if you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at You can also find all of our social media links and a complete list of sources for today's topics in the show notes. Many thanks again to Lindley for providing the stunning artwork for this week's episode. Next week, you can look forward to another Campfire Tales episode followed by a trip into the Green Room with Rosie and Kathy the week after that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.